So, Jill's going to record it. So, if you want to put yourself on mute, thank you very much. If you don't recognise me, my name's John. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. So, I've been called a traitor this morning already, and I I can feel why. But, uh, yes. Anyway, this is John speaking, and it's not over and out yet. It's plenty more to come. It's going to be great this morning. Lovely to see so many people physically last week. Uh, We've got our next physical service uh, next week. And if you wish to attend, if you can let Joe or Alan know this coming week uh, from today. So that's going to be the normal procedures now. If you want to come to a physical service, let it often be Joe, sometimes me, just depends on what's going on. But the Sunday before will be when the uh, bookings start and then they'll close uh, from noon on Friday, just so we've got time to sort out chairs and things like that. Uh, so uh, prayer meeting is on Zoom on Wednesday at eight o'clock. And our usual midweek meetings are full of interaction. Our Sunday mornings aren't at the moment, really. Uh, but uh, Zoom midweek is. Uh, Jill, Jean Oral is out of hospital, apparently, now. She came out last night. But I'm going to try and find out a little bit more about it and let everyone know what's going on with her health and, and uh, how she's feeling in the next few days. There's going to be breakout rooms at the end where we can stop and chat with people if you want to. But Fiona's going to lead us now. Thank you, Fiona. Hello, everybody. Gradually gradually each week we're seeing slightly less of people's hair. We're we're looking forward to Nick's um, haircut. (laughs) Um, It is just lovely to see everybody. And I just wanted to share a verse with you that I picked up this morning a bit randomly in that it's in two chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I just thought that was a really encouraging verse to start our morning. I hope that we can all be fully committed to him and he's watching. He's with us this morning, despite the fact that we're on Zoom. Uh, God is here and he is involved and he loves each one of us and sees each one of us. So let's just pray. God, I pray that as we know that you know each one of us and you know what you want to say to each one of us this morning, I pray that we will hear and take it into our hearts and live it out, God. Thank you that you care for us so much individually and you know exactly what's come up in our lives. So keep our ears open this morning, I pray, God, and may our hearts be ready to hear and receive from you for your glory, your purposes and your ways, God. Amen. Amen. We're just going to start by singing Everlasting God. And now is the time to have a go at singing even if you think you can't sing, because we can't hear you. (laughs) So go for it. Um, The words, the truths that we're declaring in this song are amazing.
always loving, always kind, always merciful and good, so good. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same. You never change. Yesterday, today, and forever. You are faithful, and we will trust in you. Uncreated one, you have no end and no beginning. Earthly powers fade, but there is no end to your kingdom. Always loving. Always merciful and good, so good. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same, you never change. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are faithful, and we will trust in you. We will trust in you. He said to his servants, 
Stay here, the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham, Fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, as he said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. What an amazing, awesome, amazing, awesome God we have. What can we do? How do we read something like that, hear about something like that and respond? This next song goes some way to saying that and should help to lead you up to prayer and worship. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry, but I've got to butt in. I couldn't hear a word of what was just said. No, uh, that's OK. No. We're going to carry on, though. Couldn't hear a word. Yeah, oh, okay. yes, of thank course. You. I just have to say it. Sorry, I had to come yeah, off and no, say that I could not a word. Yeah, thanks. My apologies. I'll, yeah, I'll disappear. Thank you. Righteous one, 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, when I will hear from heaven and I will, I, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to say thank you because we can be here today. We can worship you. We can worship your name and sharing with our brothers and sisters. Thank you, God. God, we ask for your forgiveness and mercy. Please continue to heal our land from the, this pandemic and also heal the hard heart because of the confinement. Please, God, send your help to this country that, that do not have the resources to heal their people. Send your divine healing so that through, through it, each people can know you, can know you and know that you are the only true God. Please send to Africa, India, and in all countries who need meet the only true God. God, we pray for, for our authorities today can make the right decision during this time when we can meet face to face again. They can continue to make a, the right decision on to, to help us. We pray for the youth of our church and for the youth, for the youth group so that they will know, for all the youth group so that they know you are, you and, they will know you and they can run with the gospel to their generation. Thank you God for your love and for your faithfulness. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And if somebody wants to pray, somebody have a prayer, please do now.
Okay, good morning, everyone. Our sermon this morning is going to carry on the theme which has been going through the service, which is how great our God is and how wonderful it is to serve the risen Christ. Jill, we were read uh, Genesis 22. Uh, that was the piece you couldn't hear. Um, so it's all about Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice, which was and wasn't. Um, I want to go back a little bit first to just build a picture of where we got to in Genesis 22. And you will probably recall that Isaac was, in fact, a miracle baby. And in Genesis 18, verses 9 to 15, we read how God promised Sarah and Abraham a son in their old age. And Sarah laughed as she was well beyond childbearing age. But God had told Abraham he would return at the appointed time the following year and Sarah would have a son. With regard to Sarah laughing at the idea, God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? In Genesis 21, we read, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, which means he laughs. To the son Sarah bore him, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. It could only be God. As a little more background to what happened in Genesis 22, we need to look at Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was 75 at the time, but as with Jesus' disciples, he did not hesitate, but uprooted his whole household, left everything behind, and did as God asked of him. It could only be God. As we read the account of Abraham and Sarah's life until the birth of Isaac, we see him make mistakes along the way. Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife, perhaps believing God had forgotten them, and Ishmael was born. But God doesn't forget, and despite Abraham and Sarah getting it wrong a few times, when Abraham is 99, God meets him again to reaffirm his promise of a son to them. And eventually, Isaac is born in God's timing. We also learn in chapter 17 of the covenant that God made with Abraham, who he renames Abraham. His name was Abram before. Abraham means father of many. He did it when he was 99 years old, reaffirming what he said in chapter 12, but making it into a holy covenant. God also makes it clear that he will confirm the covenant with Isaac and not Ishmael, confirming again that Sarah, now 94, 
will bear him a son. It could only be God. So what's happening when we reach chapter 22? By this point, Sarah has borne Isaac and Abraham has circumcised him as God commanded. And Sarah and he are raising him happily, never having thought they would have a son. Sometime later, the chapter starts off. We can assume from this and the fact that Isaac is told to carry the wood for the sacrifice, that by now he is probably in his early teen years. God had blessed them and made his covenant with Abraham. But now in chapter 22, he calls out to Abraham. Abraham, we can assume, is still in a close relationship with God as he hears him and replies, yes, here I am. God then says what must have been the most devastating words that Abraham could ever have heard. Take your son, your only son. Agar and Ishmael have by this time been banished. Take your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. That may sound barbaric, but in those days, child sacrifice was not uncommon and was seen as an acceptable way of appeasing the gods. We're not told how Abraham reacted to the request, but put yourself in his shoes if you can. God has promised you a son and that he will be the father of nations. It has taken literally decades for the promise to have been fulfilled. Remember, Abraham was first given the promise at 75 and he was 100 years old when it was fulfilled. God acknowledges how much you love him and Sarah as well. And yet he, God, is commanding you to sacrifice him by your own hand as a burnt offering to God. God, who has kept all his promises to you, God, whom you trust implicitly, God, whom you believe to be fair and just. And yet he is asking you to break your heart and sacrifice your one and only son as a burnt offering. I don't think Abraham would have slept a great deal that night. Tossing and turning, thinking, does he trust God enough? to do as he asked, or will he refuse and turn his back on God? We will see shortly a couple of key phrases that may have helped him make his decision, but more of that shortly. For now, Abraham has decided that he needs to trust God and sets out the next morning with Isaac, two servants and a donkey, together with wood which he had chopped to build the fire. God is obviously walking with them as on the third day Abraham saw the place in the distance. We can only assume God having told him that this was it. He said that he would show him. The next statement Abraham makes gives us perhaps an indication of Abraham's thinking and trust and faith in a just God. 
he says to the servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come back. We will come back. Is he saying that not to raise any suspicions of the servants and Isaac? Or perhaps does he believe that God has a plan? He then gets Isaac to carry the wood on his shoulders and carries the knife and fire himself. As they set off together, Isaac asks a perfectly natural question of his father. Father, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Again, the answer can have two origins in Abraham's thoughts. He says, God will provide a sheep. For the burnt offering, my son. Is he trying to delay telling Isaac that he is to be the offering? Probably. But he is also hoping and praying that God will indeed provide an alternative sacrifice. It is clear from what happens next that at this point, Abraham does not know the answer to his own question. When they arrived at the spot, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. He tied Isaac. Did he resist? We don't know. Or did he trust in his father and in his father's faith in God? Whatever, Isaac is laid on the altar and Abraham lifts the knife to kill him. Imagine how he must have been thinking and what thoughts were going through his mind at that time. But at this point, the angel of the Lord calls from heaven. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have withheld nothing from me. Even your son, your only son. What relief must have gone through Abraham's mind at that time? Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket. So he took it and sacrificed it in place of his son. And then God reaffirms his covenant promise to them. It could only be God. Some commentators see this as a parallel to God sacrificing his one and only son, Jesus, to take away the sins of the world and restore our relationship with him. The major difference, of course, is that God did not spare his own son, but allowed him to be mutilated and hung on the cross to die, to take our sin upon his shoulders. If you can imagine how Abraham felt, and I don't think I can, when he thought he was going to have to sacrifice his own son. How much pain did God go through when he actually did sacrifice his own son? It could only be God. There are other examples of God's testing in the Bible. And indeed, Luke 16.10 tells us, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Our walk of faith with God can lead us on a journey where several things can happen, not necessarily all of them 
what certainly some of them. We hear a promise from God for our lives. In my case, it was a calling to ministry, which I first heard when I was about 19. Following the promise, there is a period of excitement while we wait to see what God is going to do next. In some cases, God can act quickly, but in others, as mine, it can take many years for his timing to be right. And it's all about his timing. This is a time of waiting. And in today's world of instant everything and quick fixes, this can often be the most difficult time. If it's a long wait, it can lead to doubt. And sometimes, as with Abraham and Sarah and myself, we can go off along the wrong path. But God will patiently wait until we rejoin the path he has set out. There can also be a period of testing, which God will use to build up our faith, as we say, stay true to him. This was certainly the case with Abraham. Hopefully our testing will not be quite as extreme. There can then be a time of refining, <coughs> excuse me, and reinforcement, knocking off the rough edges. I have plenty of those. And reinforcing the promise God gave to you. He did this at least three times with Abraham. And finally, we get fulfillment of the promise. And during this whole process, we will hopefully have matured as Christian men and women and be better equipped with what God has for us. I can personally testify that I went through pretty much all of those stages and will not have been able to serve in ministry without God's guiding hand. It could only be God. One last example, if I may, uh, it's personal, but which I don't particularly like doing, but it illustrates perfectly what it means when I say it could only have been God. Many years ago now, Lynn and I attended Elim Conference each year, and God did some amazing things in our life in those times. One in particular occurred as Nick and I went off to do something really spiritual. We went to listen to a jazz concert given by Roy Castle's son. For those of you that don't remember Roy Castle, he was the guy who, among other things, hosted the Guinness World Record show on TV. And his son was an accomplished jazz saxophonist. And we went to see the concert and really enjoyed it, to be honest. Well, that's by the by. Lynn is not interested in jazz, so set off to find something else to do instead. In a small room in a corner of the camp, we were in Pontins at Prestati. She came across a small meeting where George Canty, an Elim evangelist with a healing ministry, was holding a meeting. Curious, she slipped in at the back of the room and towards the end of the meeting, she felt a prod from God to go and be prayed for. Not something that Lynn generally tends to do, but it was a pretty strong prod from God. He wanted to go and be prayed for her fear of confined spaces and heights. 
not really wanting to. She resisted at first, but God was pretty insistent. And she reluctantly went forward as the meeting was closing. And George County prayed quietly with her. She had what she can only describe as a warm glow and a sense of peace which came over her and a feeling that God was doing something. I know all this because she told me when I asked her what she'd been doing afterwards. That afternoon we planned a trip to Rill, just up the road as we travel there. If you know the route, you cross a bridge which spans the bay in Prestatic. Not a very big one, but Lynn shuddered every time we went over it. This time, however, Lynn realised after we'd crossed it, there was no shuddering and she actually enjoyed going over it. In real, she wanted to go to SeaWorld, something we'd always avoided as it's underground, quite dark and confined. And there's a huge glass tunnel with fish swimming over the top of you. Her worst nightmare. But she felt the need to go to convince herself the bridge wasn't a one-off experience. When we got in there at the entrance to the underground, she hesitated. I said to her, do you believe God has healed you? Yes, was the answer. Then you need to step out in faith and receive that healing, I said to her. So with a, a deep breath and holding my hand, she stepped in. And then she spent the next three hours reveling in her new freedom, going through that glass tunnel at least three times. It could only be God. The thing I learned from that was if God acts or asks you to do something, we don't just need to say yes. We need to act as well. Lynn had to step out in faith. Abraham had to be obedient in sacrificing Isaac until God stepped in. We heard last week how Jehoshaphat had to lead out his army to the battle site, even though God had promised him that the victory was to be God's. Is God calling you to do something in faith? Perhaps something you're not 100% comfortable with. You will recall that last week John reminded us that these will be new days ahead of us and we need to seek God for what he wants us to be doing. If he tells you, are you willing to accept and act in faith in what he wants you to do? That's how NCF will grow to become the church he wants. Also remember that John told us that God doesn't just give the order and then say, get on with it. He is there beside us encouraging us, supporting us, and providing the things that we need for the things which he's asked us to do. Lynn trusted, Abraham trusted, Jehoshaphat trusted, John trusted as he moved into ministry, and God didn't let any of them down, and he won't let you down either if you step out in faith in answer to his call. It could only be God. I've chosen a song to sing now, which I think follows on from that and reflects what we've been hearing today when I survey the wondrous cross and the part that really gets to me. And it's something we sing every time we sing it, 
but do we really take in the words and make them a reality in our lives? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. communion together now and as I was preparing for it I thought I would just have a look at 1 Corinthians 11 in the message and it really spoke powerfully to me the way that it is written there about what communion actually means and how we need to take it reverently you may recall that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul starts off by telling the church off for treating 
communion in a very by the by way. I'm not taking it seriously. And some were in fact getting drunk whilst they were taking part in it. So from verse 23 onwards, he goes on to say to them, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and passed them on to you. The master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broke for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. If you give no thought, or worse still, don't care about the broken body of the master when you eat and drink, you're running the risk of serious consequences. That's why so many of you even now are listless and sick and others have gone to an early grave. If we get this straight now, we won't have to straighten out later on. Better to be confronted by the master now than to face, to face a fiery confrontation later. So my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. If you're so hungry that you can't wait to be served, go home and get a sandwich. But by no means risk turning this meal into an eating and drinking binge or a family squabble. It is a spiritual meal, a love feast. So let's just spend a minute thinking about that, thinking about those words, thinking about what Jesus means to each one of us, and then we'll share the bread and the wine together. When I, Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he shared it with the disciples. Let's share the bread together.
In the same way, he took the cup and said, drink, this is my body broken. This is white and covenant in you. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough, cared about us enough to send your one and only son to die that death on the cross for us. And we thank you that we have this way of remembering who Jesus was and what he should mean to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. as we were with those words 
I lay my all. Um, yeah, that's that's what I think came out for me. Um, Isaac was at that point Abraham's all. He laid it before, laid him before God. I wonder what God is asking us to lay before him um, this coming week or for the rest of our lives for that matter. The um, lyrics you're going to sing now, over all the earth you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky, we're asking God to reign in us. In our darkest hour, I'm sure that there will be some dark hours coming up next week and there will be some fabulous times too. Let's uh, lay our all before God in all of these times. and get disgruntled when you poke the finger at us. Thank you for poking the finger at us gently again today. Lord, remember how in 1 Samuel 15, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And Lord, as you're calling us to obey you and to look to you today and tomorrow, Lord, 
we want to do that, not just because we've heard you speak today, but because you are the Lord and we want to submit to you. So, Lord, as we open our eyes to you this week again and believe for good things in us and through us, we submit to you and say we will obey you, Lord. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you for being with our friends and family as well. Help us all to love you and to serve you faithfully. Amen. Amen. Amen.